Luke chapter 11, Jesus is ministering. Do you remember, not, not to be silly, remember the chapter before? It's chapter 10. Do you remember what the ending story is? A very familiar story. You're going to look right away. So give us the, give us the details. It wraps up in Luke chapter 10 with a very, very familiar story. Mary and Martha, what's the issue there? Okay, they're, they're both interested in pleasing Christ. Martha's way of pleasing Christ is to do what? Do busy things. Okay, right? Serving, serving in a capacity that she's familiar with. And Jesus, when she gets all flustered and she's upset because her upsetness comes because her sister isn't what? She's not helping. Now, she never helped or she's done helping? She's done helping, yeah. Keep that in mind. She says, she has left me. Okay, and so her sister did her part in it, in preparing the meal. But then Jesus rebukes Martha when she's angry that, Lord, don't you care? And, um, you know, tell my sister to come and help me. He rebukes Martha in a very subtle but very gracious way. And he basically tells her, by the way, where is Mary at the time? Mary, if you remember the story, what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet listening to Jesus teach uh, in their house. And so Jesus says to Martha that Mary has chosen what? The better thing. And then there's basically only one thing that is really the priority. We don't know what that means in the possibilities are. You could have just made a small, small supper. One, one dish would have been good. Or this is the most important thing. It's the, the original language is a kind of nebulous in either concept. Um, and so he's saying to her that she has chosen the better thing. I find it very interesting that right after he talks about people being so busy... And people being so frantic and having such a frenetic pace in their, in their lifestyle. And he's rebuking that and saying that the one who is sitting and listening and having just personal conversation with Christ, they have chosen the better thing. And then right on the tail of that, right after that, is another story. And it's a story about Jesus praying. And he talks about the prayer aspect. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 1, it starts off, And it came to pass that as he was pre- praying in a certain place, when he was done, the disciples come to him and they say, Lord, you know, help us in our prayer life. And so Jesus, by his own example, right after that story about being busy and having, having, a, having this focus on things and serving God, is right back to his own example of saying, hey, meditation. Meditation is critical. And then they come to him and they say, Lord, and the question that they ask is an interesting way they ask it. They say, Lord, do what? Teach us to pray. Okay, and it's the infinitive idea here in the original. It's not saying teach us what to, what to say. It doesn't mean that he doesn't do that. Because in the Lord's Prayer, of what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, he does give them a formula to follow, a pattern to follow. And it would be the better way of saying it. But here they're saying, just help us to pray. Teach us to get, make this an important part of our life. And so if we make some observations that are, that are true, prayer is a tremendous privilege for us. We get to talk to the God of creation. We get to talk to the Lord, the King. We get to talk to Christ. We get to talk to the most holy being in all the universe. We can have an intimate conversation with him, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Okay, Prayer, some of the most important things and some of the most potent aspects of our Christianity are also some of the most difficult and the most challenging. Why is that? Why is it that you, me, why is it that we or others that you know of, what makes prayer difficult? What's that? 
knowing what to say at times. Oh, by the way, is there times that even as a believer we're not sure how to pray? What to pray for? Okay, some of you ever get in those situations where, let's take the most, the most critical situation. You're dealing with a loved one who's, who's seriously, seriously ill. Okay, and you don't know whether to pray to take them home or to keep them here. Okay, sometimes I, it, in that time, that's a major scale. I just remembered our prayer request that we need to pray for, and that's the good family. Um, their daughter-in-law did pass away from her cancer, and so they're doing the services and all this week. So we want to pray for Leon's son and grandchildren uh, with the loss, Grace. The one, the one who had the cancer, we want to be praying for them today too. What's that? Catherine, the daughter. Catherine. Their daughter, the granddaughter is Catherine. Okay, thank you. Why else is prayer a difficult thing to do? Sometimes we're just tired. We're tired. tired. You mean physically tired? That prayer is. Any of you, you shouldn't say this out loud, but any of you ever fall asleep while you're praying? Any of you ever fall asleep during invitation prayers? I have, and I'm doing them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You get those. You get those summer days, and you you say, "Hey, I'm just going to rest for a little bit." And it's a hot day, and you get into a cool area. What does your body want to do? Yeah, yeah. Why else is prayer difficult? What's that? Takes dedication. We're busy. Yeah. Yeah, that can happen that you're mentally tired. Or, or with the mentally tired, not just tired, if you have little kids around, what do they provide when you're trying to pray? Some distractions and some stuff, so you lock them in the closet for that time? You know, no, you can't do that. Okay. Anything else that makes prayer difficult for you? Any, any challenges? Yeah. I, just, I find just focusing at times. I don't know about you. When if I'm praying about things, all of a sudden when I say, you know, I need to, you know, let's pray for, you know, the widows. Let's pray for Nancy and just pray. And all of a sudden it's like, you know what? Um, speaking of widows, I should make a phone call to so and so and take care of this and send this card. And then my mind's wandering. And then it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Get back to praying about it instead of planning things. Am I the only one that does that? Okay, okay. I'm in good company then. What else makes prayer hard? Guilt. Why? Guilt. I just did something stupid or simple and now I want to go pray. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true, Daryl. I think sometimes some of us, we don't want to pray because we feel guilty. You know, that I just blew it. Who am I to come and ask for anything after I just did? And you know what's worse? I'm going to add another word. After I did that again. Okay. And it's just like, I don't deserve to be in... I, and, and the reality is we don't. True? We don't deserve to come, be, be in this opportunity to come before God and to have communication with Him. If He gave us what we deserved, where are we at? We're damned forever. And so guilt is... I think that's a, that's a challenge. Anything else that you find challenging? Right? Right? Did you all hear? Not having answers. Okay, if you don't see answers, then what does that do to your motivation for praying? You're discouraged and you say, what's the 
What's the use? Use. Anything else that makes it hard to pray? We covered them all. Right? And yet it can be some of, one of the most refreshing things. Okay, let, let's do this. Just today. Let's be simplistic. Okay, not, you're, you're waiting for something profound. I don't have anything profound. Because what we need to do is go back to basics. If we're talking about improving our prayer life, let's remember some basic ideas and principles from the Word of God. Let's do it very simple today. Let's just find in Scripture, let's find in a basic common, uh, common sense, why should I pray? Why should I pray? Let's, let's go back to the motivation for it. And so in the motivation, we, we were, I would summarize it in three good ways. Okay, number one is this. God requires it. God asks me to do this. God not only asks me to do this, but let's make it stronger. He commands us. There are numerous passages where God says these types of things. Men ought always to pray. This is Jesus Christ talking about prayer and saying, this is something I expect from you. We read in Matthew 7 where it's commanded. This is that very familiar text that comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it shall be given. Knock, seek and you shall find. Those three verbs there are all commands. They're imperatives in that sense of that text. We have in Luke chapter 6 where he commands, and this is a part of his Sermon on the Plain, where he says, pray, commanded again, an imperative, for those who despitefully use you. But he's commanding prayer, especially towards those that you want to pray imprecatory prayers for or people you don't want to pray for. He's saying, do that. We read in Matthew chapter 6, this isn't a command, okay? It's not a, it's not a command in, well, actually, let's, uh, yeah. The, the verbs there, when you pray is not a command, not an imperative. Pray to your Father is an imperative. And then when you pray is not an imperative in this text. Okay, Matthew 6. What makes it almost stronger, the first and last phrase, when you pray, than a command? He's assuming. He's not even telling us to do it. He's assuming we're doing it. To me, that assumption is almost stronger than any verbal command. I'm assuming it's a pattern in your life. I'm assuming you're doing it. And you're just going to continue to do it. We have this, uh, this statement in that same text. After this manner, here's an imperative. Pray. And then he gives that pattern prayer of what we call the Our Father. Continuing instant in prayer. He talks about it in Romans chapter 12. We read in Colossians, continue in prayer. And watch the same with thanksgiving. Philippians, let your requests be made known unto God. Another one of those verbal expressions that just says here it's a command. It's, he's telling us to pray. Pray without ceasing. I will therefore that men everywhere lift up holy hands hands, okay, and talking about this is the church when it gathers, okay, the service itself. In chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I'm writing to tell you how you ought to behave when you get together for worship. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting and pulling hands. Now, we mention it twice or three times. He gives the prayer that the pattern for prayer, pray after this fashion, when he gives what we call the Our Father. Okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can't see it real clearly. Matthew 6, if you need to see it more distinctly in your Bible. In Matthew chapter 6, you can flip there and you'll see all of it given out in those, in those verses. When you go through and you look at that pattern for prayer, okay, just quickly dissecting it in your mind, what do you learn? What does he tell us how we should pray? Is he telling us, use this prayer? This is the most important prayer. Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom to come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive those who trespass against us as we forgive those who trespass, etc., etc., etc. Is he telling us, do that? No. What is he telling us? When you look at this text, 
what do you learn about prayer? How to pray? I'm asking you. Okay, I don't have an answer. Okay. Matthew chapter 6. Okay, what, what does that say to your spirit, to your heart? What, what, does, what uh, he's commanding you to pray, he's giving you a pattern for prayer. What, what do you need to do when you pray? What were you saying? Be humble. Okay. And you get that out of the text where he's... Hallowed be thy name. Okay. Which would make perfect sense in that text. Anything else stands out? Your worshipful attitude, that same idea. We're, we're exalting your name. Anything else? If you need to look at it more closely, because this is, this is tough to see. Matthew chapter 6. What's that? Luke 11 has it too? Okay. What do you have? Anything else that stands out to you about prayer? If you were with a third grader and you're explaining how to pray, what are you going to point out on this text? What's that? You need to be forgiving? How does he wrap this passage up? If we don't forgive those, we're not going to be forgiven, okay? There needs to be forgiving towards others when you come to pray. What else? Understand he's ultimately in control, the sovereignty of God in that degree. What else? He wrote this to you. So you would have it. What did you learn about prayer when you studied this text in the past? How has it helped you? It's okay to ask for everyday things. Is it okay to pray for yourself? Okay. Anything else stands out? What do you mean by that? Yeah, when he's doing it, when he's doing great, great point. Um, when he's doing it, he's making this a very personal aspect. Because remember that the culture at that time was a very, God is kind of aloof, distant. And he's bringing it down to a very intimate relationship by saying, Our Father. Okay, so he's making a very, it's, it's very respectful, but it's also intimate in that respect. Anything else about prayer? Okay. Which is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, were any of, you, any of you grew up in a church where you had to pray through a priest? You were told you couldn't pray directly? Some of us grew up that way. We had to pray through the priest. We have to go through the church. We couldn't pray directly. And what's Jesus, what's Jesus saying to these people who have that same system? You can come to me at any time. Okay, you can come to me, our Father. Okay, praying for the little things, praying for the daily things, praying for forgiveness, praying with a sense of reverence, pray, praying based on a relationship with God Almighty. Um, you know, that idea of coming and saying, you know, I, I, I want to be right with you. The idea of relinquishing control, the humility. There is so much in this prayer because it's interesting. He's writing to a culture that did the Jewish people as a whole, did they have prayers? Did they have organized prayer times? Were they prayerful people 
as a society? The answer is yeah. They had a very regimented prayer system. And he's basically laying out for them and saying, here is something that is very basic and simple, but something for you to get your hands into, to really get to be close to the Lord. It's not the ritualism, it's the relationship. It's being intimate with him. It's talking with him. It's discussing your needs. And it's something he laid out for the disciples. And what strikes me odd is this. We have had this in Scripture for the 2,000 years now that, that it's been inspired and put in Scripture. And yet so many people just gloss right over it because we've heard it. We gloss right over it and just say, oh, well, we got this down pat. But he's teaching his disciples a pattern, people who were religious by nature and by culture, but saying, hey, listen, you need to think through what you're doing when you pray. You need to follow through. Remember what he says just verses before? He says, don't pray like the hypocrites do with vain repetitions. Okay. And then he challenges, like Pam, you pointed out, and Catherine, you pointed out as well, that idea of that personalness. Is it easy to get stuck in a pattern of ritualistic prayer without intimacy and just go through the motions? Okay, we don't do it in our circles with canned prayers, memorized prayers. We just do them with the SOS same old stuff. We do it with the phrases like, okay, I come and here's my prayer time to you, God. And we do the exact same things with our brain in neutral and our, our you know, prayer life in fast drive without meditating, without thinking what we're saying at times. Have you ever done that with Scripture? Have you ever sat down in your devotional time and say, I'm going to read chapter 11? And you read through chapter 11, but your mind hasn't been engaged. Your eyes were. Have you ever prayed that way? Have you ever joined me in Sunday morning when we pray for the needs and we have that one prayer time right, for the offering? Have you ever gone through the motion, but your brain has been disconnected? And we're in the prayer mode. Oh, we say at the beginning of the service, why don't you pray and pray that you know, the wor- it would be worshipful. And you kind of just, okay, I'm in this one minute, but in this one minute, I'm all of a sudden, 10 seconds in, I'm disconnected. I'm doing something else. Prayer is so easy. It is the most, the most intimate time we can have with God, and yet we can be the most disengaged at times. It's amazing. It's challenging. It's convicting. And so we want to think, we'll talk about ever, some things we can do to improve that prayer life. But let's do a second thought. God rewards prayer. Why should I be doing this? God requires it. Number two, God rewards it. There are so many passages that talk about this. We go to the Old Testament. He, I, he shall call upon me, this is the Lord, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will praise thee, for you have heard me and are become my salvation. It came to pass that before they will call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. We read about in Jeremiah, passage most of you have memorized. Call to me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things you know not. Jeremiah, right before that, then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search with me for me with all of your heart. Romans, the Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. We read in Ephesians, I, I, I think this is a classic passage if you've never memorized, you got to memorize this one. Now unto him that is able to do above, exceedingly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. How God doesn't hold back. In fact, the text is, if he, right before us, if he has given us his son and he has given us his best, then anything else 
is just less for him to give. And then it goes on, he's unto us, uh, he is able to do all that we think. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe, receive them, and you shall have them. Again I say unto you that if two or three are gathered, okay, and they agree, it shall be done for them according to my Father in heaven. Ask and it shall be given. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened. Uh, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Watch this, watch the, the um, references, the next few references. There's something that they have in common. Okay, John 15, if you abide in, my, uh, in me, okay, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Again, we've got a same, same uh, common text. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he will give it. Verily, verily, I send to you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it. What did you notice about those four verses right in a row? Okay, they all say the basic same thing. Okay, but did you notice anything else? Where are they at? What's the setting? Okay, John 14, John 15, John 15, John 16. Okay, do you remember the setting? What's that? Yeah, what he's doing in this, this is, the, this is what we call the Last Supper. It's that instance. It's the upper room. Okay? Chapter 13, he institutes the Lord's Supper. And then after the Lord's Supper, he's instructing them. What does he tell them in chapter 14, verse 1? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. In my Father's house are... Okay, I go to prepare a place. And if I... I will... What's, what's the setting? What's he preparing them for? He's leaving in the next few hours. They're going to be by them. Okay. How are they responding when he says, I'm leaving? Not so. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are. And then when he says, one of you is going to betray me. Yeah, and they are, I'm not going to betray you, not I, not I, they all say. And Peter, Peter says, I will even basically die for you. Okay, and so he's telling them, I'm leaving. And twice he has to say, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Because their hearts are, they're troubled. Why are they so upset? He's leaving. They've given their lives for him. When I say lives, you know what I mean? their livelihoods. They've given their, they've given everything because he's going to bring in the what that they were all expecting and they wanted to sit at the right hand and the left hand. He's bringing in the kingdom and all of a sudden he's saying kingdom's not coming. Instead, I'm leaving and they are befuddled. They are just discouraged. They are distraught. They are, let not your heart be troubled means they are torn apart. They are beside themselves with what is going on. They just can't believe it. And then he ends up, remember the next 12, 14, 16 hours, he ends up being uh, arrested. He ends up being tried. He ends up being crucified. And they don't get it. They don't get it at all. They are just beside themselves until when? What puts it together for them? Okay, even before then. The Holy Spirit won't come another 50 days. Okay, it's the resurrection. Resurrection Sunday, it, it, it starts gelling, and they start remembering, and all of a sudden when they see Christ. Okay, but during this period of time, he's preparing them for when he's leaving, and he's telling them what it's going to be like after I'm gone, even after the Holy Spirit, because he tells them the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, in this text, what's he keep calling the Holy Spirit? 
in our, in our English version. The comforter. He says, I'm going to send you another comforter. And he gives them, if you look through the text, he repeats two ideas multiple times. The one is the Holy Spirit. The other one is this. You can pray, you can pray, you can pray, you can pray. You're going to have persecution because whatever, whatsoever they do to the master, they will do to you. Okay. And so he's preparing them and he tells them amongst all the other promises, there are two that are repeated several times in that John 13 through 16. It's the Holy Spirit and it's the ability to pray at any moment. And when you pray, I will answer. I will answer. By the way, if you think through this idea of prayer, what's that meaning to the disciples who think Jesus is going far away? Put this in a, put this in a geographical mindset. They're thinking he's gone, and then he's gone. And what's he basically saying to them? I might be physically gone, but I'm still within earshot. I'm going to hear you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know what you need. I'm still going to be attentive to you. I mean, that's an amazing thought that he is giving to them that they don't understand, they don't understand what happens when people die. They don't have the same concept you have. They don't have all that. They think that when people die, they basically go to the grave and they're there until the resurrection. And so he's telling them that I am going to be, by the way, just think this through. I will hear you. I will hear you. I will hear you. Even though I'm going to die, I'm going to come back to life. It's predictive. I'm going to be paying attention to you. It's a phenomenal text when you talk about this prayer aspect that he's giving them a tremendous tool to carry them through in the most desperate moments. And by the way, in desperate moments, do you often feel like God isn't listening? Do you feel like the heavens have become brass? And here he's saying, no, no, keep praying. Keep praying, keep praying. It's an amazing, it's amazing uh, uh, you know, concept within those texts. God rewards it. First John. It's interesting. John is the one that keeps on giving these comments later on. He says, we receive of him whatever we ask. We read in First John, this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask, any, uh, ask anything, excuse the misspelling, according to his will, he hears us. We know that we have the petitions. And John just keeps on repeating this time and time again. James, who was probably the first epistle written, he's talking about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It's, it's all through these scriptures. It's the idea that God rewards prayer. Here, let, let's see, just for a second. You think of a Bible story. Any Bible story. You think of one. Tell me what the answer of prayer is in that Bible story. What did God do for you think of a character. What did God do for whoever you're thinking of. How did he answer his prayers? Now, pick a story where they're praying, that you know that they're praying, and tell me what kind of answers did God give? Old Testament, New Testament? Hannah. Okay? Okay? She's barren, and God made her so that she could have a child. Acts chapter 12. Church is paying, praying for Peter because Peter is where? He's in jail. Okay? They pray that he gets released. What time of the day does it get released? Do you remember? Okay. It's, it's happening at night. Okay. It, they pray how long? All night. And he gets released towards dawn. But they've been praying. You mean, you mean God might wait, make us wait in answers? And a lot of you go, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. What? Another story. Prodigal son. Okay. The prodigal. Who's probably praying in that story? Father. Probably the father. Okay. And he's beseeching, and the son returns. Another Bible story. We're answered to prayer. Daniel. Daniel. Which one? Which time? Okay, forbidden, forbidden to pray. He goes and prays three times a day. Okay, and the law was made to catch who? Do you remember? The law was made to catch Daniel, to get rid of Daniel. And Daniel still continues to pray, and then he ends up where? The lion's den. That's the story of the lion's den. He ends up in the lion's den, and those old snaggletooth lions, they weren't hungry. <laughs> Yeah, they wanted to eat them, but the Lord protected. And soon as the guys who, when Daniel gets released, soon as the guys who made the stupid law get arrested, they get thrown in. And how much, how far do they go down before they get mauled? They don't, they don't get down to the bottom of the of the jail, and they're mauled. Yeah, they get them in the air. Yeah. Any other Bible story? That's an amazing answer to prayer. Seven times around the wall. The walls of Jericho. Okay? Anything else? Which time in Elijah's life? Right? Yeah. Okay, let's take the most classic story in Elijah's life. He prayers, prays a long, extended prayer of like 28 words. And he says, God, show them your God and what comes out of heaven. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Any other Bible stories? The reason I'm asking you to do this, okay, not to be overly simplistic, but one of the re- one of the things that keeps us going when we don't feel like God is answering is to remember that God has been faithful to other people when they prayed. It is important to remember these stories because they give us the incentive and the encouragement that the same God who doesn't change yesterday, today, forever, he is able to answer prayer. So I'm not trying to bore you. I'm trying to get you to think with me so that you keep these things in mind. Bible story where there's prayer. What's that? Esther? Is that what you said? Where's God mentioned in Esther? Then the name is not mentioned, but the concept is, right? Okay, we don't want to mistake that. Didn't say, well, God's not mentioned. But there's basically, they're going to be annihilated. And they pray, and God protects the Jewish people. Phenomenally, in a very political sense. Any other stories that, that prayer is fascinating? Okay. Um, which one? Okay, that the Lord gives him, yeah, he asks for clarity and direction, and the Lord is patient, extremely patient in giving that fleece. Any other stories? The wet fleece and then the dry fleece. Okay, okay. And what does he do? Okay. He stops, stops the storm. Okay, there's two, different, there's two different accounts like that. That one of them, he comes to them and walks in the water. The other one, that he's with them and he stops the storm. 
And uh, when, they, when they wake him up and say, please, please help us, and then he just arises from sleep and stops it. Phenomenal. Any other stories? Okay. That he pleads and asks the Lord to come, and the Lord heals him. There are phenomenal amount of stories that are given in Scripture. They're not given, to, they're not given just to... Boy, um, I'll probably use this in, a, in, in an illustration. Pastor Tony was telling me about how in the last few weeks he's had opportunity to preach at a couple different occasions to kids in a uh, Christian school environment. And he said, so I went in and he opened up the thing by saying, I'm going to give you a story. You say, yes or no, is it in the Bible? And so he was, you know, give a story about um, a man whose wife says, you have bad breath. Yes or no, is it in the, in the Bible? It, it is. There's a, a story, I'm, 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 I don't want to embarrass you, uh, a story where, where a bald guy got control of two bears and, they, and sent the bears to kill 42 kids. Is it in the Bible? Um, a story where a guy takes and cuts up the corpse of his wife and sends it in mail to 12 different parts of the nation. Yeah, so he said he went through it, not with the little kids, he didn't use that last one, okay? But he said he went through and list a, a story of somebody falling asleep in church and dying. Okay, he said what was amazing to him, the kind of, you know, it's with kids, but he said in both settings, how many of these stories that he said, is it in the Bible that people go, I never heard that before, 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 I never heard that before. And the, uh, the thing that impressed him was, you know what, in a lot of, ch- in a lot of churches, well, apparently what we're doing is we're just focusing on a few common Bible stories and we're becoming Bible ignorant and not knowing a lot, but knowing just a few stories. That, that to me is our fear here, is that because if you pick up Bible books for little kids, don't they usually repeat the same stories? Okay, so our idea is let's do comprehensive teaching. Let's try to make sure that we're, we're exposing the kids not to the same old stories in multiple junior churches. Does that make sense? Okay, because then what happens? They get so used to them and it kind of goes over their head. Okay, my point is this, that sometimes we just hang on to the most common stories, but challenge yourself at times, like we're just trying to do right now. Think broadly, where and when did God answer prayer? Was it only for the phenomenal situations? Was it only for the famous characters? You know, how did God answer prayer? Nehemiah. It just says that when we stood at the walls, we did something else. We not only were protecting, but we were... He talks about praying. Lord, please, guide and direct when we're in the middle of this project. Where there are so many stories in the Scripture that talk about prayer, why does God record them? For your and my benefit to give you, you and I the idea that our God really does answer prayers in some of those phenomenal and in some ways very mundane fashion that he answers, but he does answer prayer. Here, let, let's do this, okay? Let's just take and stick mostly with the New Testament, but let's see, okay, what kind of, of benefits are there to prayer? Look at this, this account. This is the Luke 11. If a man shall ask bread of his father, will the dad give him a stone? The answer is no, okay, in the original. Is if, he asks, if the kid asks for a fish, will he give them an eel, something that's dangerous, that's unclean? The answer is no, okay. If he asks for an egg... 
Will he give them a scorpion that could have you know, a hard shell that could injure the child? The answer is no, no, okay. If you then being, you know, we, we aren't great phenomenal. If we who are weak and evil know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy, uh, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Okay, and so he's talking in context, the idea of the Holy Spirit answering our prayers, giving us the Holy Spirit. But in particular, via the illustrations, what else does he promise to give us? Kids asking for food. Does God promise to meet our what? Okay, okay. He's providing our physical needs. Is that what he is saying in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our... Okay, okay, so one of the benefits, look at these. What is the benefit of praying in this text? How, what, what answers, what rewards do we get by praying, according to these two verses? Keeping us from, from sin and temptation. Okay, um, just, just for those of us who struggle with grammar at times, where it says, lead us not into temptation. This is, a, this is a phrase, this is a figure of speech that doesn't mean, oh, God would lead us there. It literally has the concept, lead us away from, is the concept. Lead us away from temptation. It's phrase, lead us not into temptation, but the idea, the concept is, lead us away from the temptation. And God promises to do that. When you look at this, what is God promising as a benefit of praying? Any among you suffering, let them pray. Any cheerful, let them sing. Any sick among you, let them call for the elders, let them anoint. Prayer of faith shall save the sick. What's, what's he talking about in this context? A, spe- a specific answer to prayer. Do you see one? Okay. When you're praying for others in particular, what? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're talking about physical healings. We're talking about how God can, and one of the benefits of answered prayers can be the physical aspect of the healing. Here you go. What about this one? What's the underlying thought that God, how does he answer prayers? And what, what are some of the benefits? What's that? Okay. Meeting our needs, especially what kind of needs? Physical or Internal. The internal needs of giving us what in the middle of trials and struggles and problems? What does he give us? Okay. You know, the help, the, the assistance, the grace in time of need. Now, the, be- the benefit of this is none of us ever have times of needs. Right? Don't have trials. Don't have problems. And you say, no, that's not true. Well, here, look, this is what he's saying I'm going to do for you. Here's one that, um, that this is a prayer that's made by David. Okay, this is a little bit harder to, to uh, let me explain. Search me, know my thoughts, know my heart, try me, see if there would be any wicked way. What is David praying for? Cleansing in his life, holiness in his life. Okay, there is that, there is that aspect of my prayer life, a benefit that can come is personal holiness that will improve in my life. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, in that case, that's a clarity, clear one. What's God give us in the middle when we need? The benefit is wisdom, okay, that we need in dealing with everyday things in our life. Um, what's the side benefit of not only answer to prayer, but what else comes along with answer to prayer? That, that we want, we crave, that you're what? 
that your joy may be full. I, I, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm off base here. Don't you want to have a joyful life? Don't you want to say life is good? You know, it's, oh, it's good because the sun is shining. Well, what do we do the other days, you know, so far this year? We should have a joy-filled life. Here's one. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. What does he give us along with answer to prayers? That the what of God that's, that goes beyond our understanding shall keep our hearts. That peace, okay? We want that. We need that. Here's a benefit that he's talking about. This one's, this one is, there's twofold here, okay, out of the same text. In the first part, I beseech that and pray for that, for our kings, all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. In particular, in just taking that part of the phrase alone, what's he saying? If we, we should be praying for the blessings upon what? Our leadership, our nation, okay? Blessings upon the country. Let's expand it a little bit more. It goes a little bit longer now. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved for there is one God, one mediator. If we expand it, why is he saying pray for our country and blessings on our country so that we can do what? So we can get rich and prosper or we can carry out the gospel without difficulty. That Pax Romana, that enabled Paul to go how far in the Roman Empire? All over. He's saying, so pray for your country so that we can pray because God wants people to get saved. He wants them to work. In fact, he's saying in this text, this is Paul saying, pray for me. And he goes on, he says that, that I may boldly open my mouth. We want to pray because one of the benefits is it prospers our missionaries. We just had this whole month talking about missionaries. Okay, what should we be doing for them? You, great, you did a great job. You sacrificed money. That is phenomenal. And it's, you know, you just, but is that all we need to do for our missionaries? Right. No. We should be upholding them in prayer. Here's another one that he's talking about getting the gospel out. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth... Yeah, the laborers, okay? Increase the number of individuals who are interested in missions. And then, he t- then in this text, and this is an important text for us, this is talking about how we can reach other brothers and sisters in Christ who are drifting away from the Lord. If you see your brother sinning a sin that is not a sin unto death, okay, ask. And the whole idea is a recovery of the backslider. These are some specific statements in the New Testament that talk about how, why we should be praying because God rewards it. Let, let's give you a third reason. Jesus did it. Jesus did. There's multiple passages that Jesus went up. He's praying. He prayed all through the night. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Over 20 times we read of personal prayer times made by Jesus Christ. Let's just be simplistic here. If Jesus needed to pray, then we need to. Okay? If he, the Son of God, needed to pray, then we who are the children of God... We need to pray. I mean, not to be profound, not to be silly, but the example of Jesus Christ tells us that we need to pray. Okay, so Jesus talks about this. He promotes this. Was every prayer occasion made and done by Jesus Christ a successful prayer occasion? Let's take the Garden of Gethsemane. Successful for who? Unsuccessful for who? In prayer. Who, Who was successful in their prayer? Any of them? Okay, Garden of Gethsemane, who all went in to pray? Jesus. Who else? 
Peter, James, John. Okay, four men, they're going to pray. Which, if any of them, got the answer to their prayers? Wait a minute. Jesus said, remove this cup. Nevertheless, did God remove the cup? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. God heard Jesus' prayer. The hearing of Hebrews 5, 7 is God answered his prayer. We often think that when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was saying, don't let me suffer, suffer die. And we often present it that way from pulpits, that Jesus was praying he didn't want to go to the cross. Please, if there's another alternative, give me another alternative. That's not what he prayed. That's not at all what he prayed according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. He prayed, and it says, and the Father answered his prayer. Well, if the Father answered his prayer, and he suffered and he died, then he wasn't praying that he wouldn't suffer and die. So what was he praying for? Yeah, but what specifically was he praying for? I know he was praying, whatever you will. What was the cup of suffering or the cup of wrath? We have to define that. The separation from the Father. The separation from the Father. Which could last how long? Forever. Okay. Jesus, in fact, in, the, in just that, that day before, Jesus, John chapter 12, was preaching in the crowds. And he said, shall I now say, I don't want to give my life? That's why I came. Okay, so what was his torment? Was his torment knowing that he would be beaten? Was his torment knowing that he was going to be nailed? His agony and his torment was, My God, my God, why have you... Right. And so remove that cup of wrath. Restore our relationship. Don't leave me dead and suffering hell. Did God answer that prayer? How do you know? It's the day we're coming up to. Resurrection day. We call it Easter, but actually the, it's resurrection. God answered his prayer. He, 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 he's restored. He's in fellowship. So Jesus got his prayer answered. We need to go back and talk about that because that, that passage is so diluted at times and so misunderstood. We'll, we'll come back there. Who failed in the prayer time? Peter? James John. How? Is sleep bad? It might be bad in about an hour from now. When it, you know, okay, don't do it. Okay. So, so they failed. Why? What were they struggling with? Okay, they're struggling with the occasion, the time. Let's pick up next week. Let's talk about exactly what happened in Gethsemane and what made it so difficult. Thanks for listening.